Okay, so uh, the reason why I am doing this presentation on this topic, I read uh, this is an audiobook called Dedicated. At the end of it, it's like, well, do something to, you know, go plant a garden, you know, go do something. Uh, it's like, well, this is this is the way that I do things. Uh, I, if I'm, you're going to make me read something, then I probably have to teach it, you know. So I've never read *Rare Navarin*. I've read it once in preparation for this, and now I'm coming over it a second time, you know, continue preparation. So uh, what this is going to be is just the encyclical broken up into three nights. Um, I've now, like I said, uh, read this as well as a little bit of Communist Manifesto to get some historical background. Um, but yeah, let's talk about just the encyclical in general. So the encyclical is written in 1891, May 15th, by Leo XIII, who is the Pope at the time. And the topic of the encyclical is on capital and labor. So what's happening in human history right now, the Communist Manifesto uh, was written in the 1840s, but was published in a lot of different languages at much later dates. So like, it's like the latest 1880s. Um, Communist Manifesto, for those who don't know, is written by uh, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Karl Marx is like the main author. Frederick Engels is more the editor. Um, and that stated the um, the views of basically the Socialist Party as well as how they saw human history develop up to that point, how um, they are to relate to one another, that is, um, them in relation to proletariat, who is the working class of bourgeoisie, who are the owners of the now uh, ever-changing means of production, and to the state. So all of that to say, Rare Navarre is situated after that and in the context of the Industrial Revolution. It is not only a response to socialism. Um, it's pretty clear that it's a response to capitalism as well. Um, and that is worth noting. Uh, it's, we're going to see very clearly um, his remarks, Leo XIII's remarks, against socialism more so than against capitalism. But um, at the end of tonight, whenever we see the the vision of what the relations between an employer to a worker are supposed to be. We're going to see how, like, yeah, there are some problems with the way that capitalism is lived today present in America. So um, let's just get on with it then. And then periodically, I think we can just stop and have a discussion about, um, about some things. So um, throughout my ornate slideshow, um, you will notice uh, bullet points as well as headings and italicized paragraph uh, numbers. So the way that encyclicals are structured, for those who do not know, encyclicals um, are not referenced by page numbers but by paragraph numbers. So this is uh, RN, which is Rare Navarum, paragraph one, and just a summary of it. So what is the problem? Uh, another interesting thing for those who uh, do not know, an encyclical is titled by its first words. Uh, its first words. So, Ram Navarum is about new things. Um, but then the first words of uh, the encyclical are the spirit of revolutionary change. This 
fear of revolutionary change. Um, he says this, that in the vast expansion of industrial pursuits and the marvelous discoveries of science and the changed relationships between masters and workmen and the enormous fortunes of some individuals, some few individuals, the utter poverty of the masses, so that's the problem, and the increased self-reliance and closer mutual combination of the working classes and the prevailing moral degeneracy. Um, and all of this now fills the mind with painful apprehension um, and that now people are coming up with different schemes uh, to, to deal with the utter poverty of the masses and the increased self-reliance uh, on the working classes. So why? What's, what's the problem? And so the problem is really the Industrial Revolution. The way that uh, Karl Marx is going to talk about it in the Communist Manifesto is throughout human history, again, this is the way that, you know, whether this is like a true narrative or not, this is kind of the, the communist narrative. And, you know, obviously it's at least half true is that in, in the medieval times, um, you had the feudal system. You had like lord, um, everything in between, and then serf. Uh, and once that crashed, because everything for him is a change in a class struggle, with every class struggle there is a social revolution. Once that crashed, then there even became a greater fracture um, because the means of production change. The greater fractures between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And that's, you know, in a sense kind of true because now the wealthy own these great means of production in the Industrial Revolution. Now they own these great means of production in the Industrial Revolution. The gap has changed. And now, because they don't have property ownership, the middle class had been wiped out because the middle class um, the economy became more global um, and the middle class couldn't reach that far so who do you do, go to? You go to someone who has the powers to do it you know? and then thus like, you kind of see how the pieces fall together to make something like this, the industrial revolution but it's also then in abolishing the middle class uh, led to utter poverty so does that make sense? Do you all have any, any questions on that? Any discussion? No, so the bourgeoisie are, so the way that Marx talks about it, and again, like we, we're looking at Marx because this is what Leo Thirteenth is more clearly writing about, because Marx is like the one who like clearly writes, I mean like I don't think there's like, if there is one, I've never heard of it, like a capitalist manifesto or anything like that. So like, so Marx is writing a story really, about world history um, whenever he proposes his... I mean, it's more than an economic theory. It's a whole worldview. Um, but the bourgeoisie, to answer your question, are those who are on top, um, the top of the top. They are the owners of the means of production. The proletariat is the working class. So, yeah, yeah. And for, for Marx, it's like that simple, you know, rather than a lot of different delineations. Good, cool.
Yes. So, and he also says prevailing moral degeneracy. So one thing, again, that probably Marx might get right is like, he's one, he's a very good writer, but he talks about um, like how there's no more chivalry, there's no more sentimentality, there's no more, only the only thing that uh, is, that exists between man is naked self-interest. Naked self-interest and the desire for gain. Because now that capital has come to reign, everything is just about man just sees himself as means for profit. Um, so that's probably just what Leo XIII sees as well as the prevailing moral degeneracy. So in the second paragraph of the encyclical, what he says is, even though Ram of Armas, like we've seen, it's like the watershed first Catholic social uh, encyclical, he says that the church has spoken on it more than once about the condition of the working classes. And now the church is speaking on it to make understandable the principles upon which truth and justice stand. So the church is not going to, in this encyclical, propose a certain economic theory. It's just going to propose the principles of, by which we should think about these issues. And then uh, the danger is some use of difference of opinion on this issue to cause revolt. So we want to make sure uh, he's saying that Obviously, like what Marx wants is to cause revolution. He wants uh, the bourgeoisie says they will need to rape, to rise up and cause a revolt. Uh, I mean, the proletariat must rise up and cause a revolt against the bourgeoisie. Okay, so then why he then talks about why the problem of the you know, poverty of masses, the moral degeneracy, why all that has accelerated. So he paints the story. So the ancient working men's guilds were abolished in the last century, and no other productive organization took their place. So maybe you'd have like a, a guild of you know, cobblers or something like that. Um, what are other things? Uh, carpenters. Carpenters. Leather blacksmiths. Bricklayers. Bricklayers. Um, yeah, yeah, those sorts of things. iPhone makers, you know. uh, they were all abolished in the last century, and so no other uh, organization took their place. Uh, the other thing he says is that public institutions and the laws set aside the ancient religion. So you also have, uh, with, with the economic thing changing and the class struggle kind of happening, you do have um, post, I mean, like you have uh, modernism that's, that's really starting to set in. So, um, yeah, there's uh, a greater separation between church and state. So then by degrees it has come to pass that working men have been surrendered, isolated, and helpless to the hard-heartedness of employers and the greed of unchecked competition. So again, you kind of like get this idea of unfettered capitalism, you know, and like this has caused the problem um, because of the hard hardness of employers and the greed of unchecked competition. So the hard hardness of employers being like employers abusing their employees, saying like, no, you're going to have to work this much, you know, and you kind of have to because without money, you know, you're not going to be able to, you're going to be able to make it, you know, and you're not going to get a job anywhere else because like the competition is also also paying just this much, right? 
So you kind of see how, you know, even uh, how capitalism can cause the problem. Um, and then the mischief has been increased by rapacious usury, which, although more than once condemned by the church, is nevertheless under a different guise, but with like injustice, still practiced by covetous and grasping men. Now, I am not, this is one of those things where it's like, look, all I did was read the document. I don't know enough about it. But like, but usury is generally like the teaching, you shouldn't charge interest, right? Um, say, well, like we live in an economy. We're all, we're, we've all got blood on our hands, or Benjamin Franklin's blood on our hands, you know? Um, you know, like I invest in the market, you know, and it's weird because we now live like, you know, in a world where inflation goes up 6%, you know, every every year. So, like, the U.S. government is usuring us, you know, in a sense, by, uh, by printing all this money. So, it's it's a weird and layered issue, and I don't know what the answer is, but I'm willing to, that's why it's fun. That's why we do this stuff. So, yeah. It's interesting you brought up Franklin. One of his, uh, I guess, driving... I only brought him up because he's on the $100 bill. Behind the... Uh, <laughs> 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 like savings time was so, so the workers had an additional hour of natural light in manufacturing facilities. It was about squeezing a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, well, because of inflation, you have to now start charging a surcharge for every time someone wants to buy something. Would that be like usury? Right. No, and that's the thing. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's, from what I've, I mean, I have listened to a couple of podcasts on this. Um, <laughs> from what I do know is like money has become something so far removed from a real thing to where it's harder, you know, like when you talk about usury, uh, maybe earlier on in the life of the church, Money's more attached to like something that's real and non-changing, you know. Like, for instance, some like the gold standard would be an example of something like that, right? Um, but now, because it isn't, it's it's like it's not. It doesn't have a relation outside of itself. It has a relation within itself. Where if you print more, then it's it's worth less. And so, because of that, do you have to then keep up? You know, and that not being usury, but then if it, I don't know, I don't know the answer, but it's worth thinking about. I don't know. What do y'all, do y'all have any thoughts? I just want to throw it out. Maybe yeah. It could just be wrong with the charge of interest. Yeah. Hey, that could maybe, be maybe, maybe, like, that's what I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. But that's what that word means, because it has the word contagious in front of it. So what is, what do they consider yeah, I'm sure it was much more than just what we consider, oh, sorry, the inflation rate. I think there was a point um, in the church where the church condemned charges of many Right, right. No, that is true. That is true, yeah. But then you probably have some examples of these Yeah, right, right. Like a payday loan place would be a very obvious usury. Yeah. 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 Um, 
And that would be something that is more akin to the usury that we are talking about because to keep down the working class, you know, the, the way that a payday loan works with like, you know, it's like a micro loan kind of thing, you can never get ahead and buy property, you know? And because you can never get ahead and buy property, then you cannot. He's gonna talk about the necessity for owning private property to live, um, yeah, to live out this vision of Catholic social. And, and I think at that point in time in history, when he was writing this, it was very common for usury rates, you know, it initially go to the bank to get money, they go to the guy on the corner, and he was going to mm -hmm. charge you 50% if you didn't pay me back by the end of the month. Right. Or regularly. <laughs> yeah. It'd be so nice if we could use right. this at the bank. Like, that's rapacious. You're going to have to give me, like, a little bit. It's against my religion. Give me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I guess it's kind of a list of the people. You're talking about kind of this layout in the uh, song, 16 Tons, you know, the, uh, by a Disney Ford, where it's kind of like no matter how hard you work, you're always going to be more and more in debt. You're always gonna, you're going to the company to buy all your equipment, tools, and means of life. And by the end of the day, you know they're paying you. You're still paying all your money back right. to them at the end of the day. Yeah, so you have, have yeah. And he's going to talk about that, like he can't advance your life. And uh, he's going to talk about that as being um, one of the foundations for society. So one of the things, like you have to be able to advance your life because society exists first within the building block society as the family. And the father of the family has then to provide for uh, his, his children. One of the ways in which, yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to like, the soil and the land and basically, but yeah, okay. Uh, I'm gonna stop talking and, and we'll just talk about it. Okay. Um, yeah, so this, oh, whoops, okay. To this must be added the hiring of labor and the conduct of trade or concentrating the hands of comparatively few. So again, the middle, the, the labor scale, the middle class really being, uh, and then the globalization of the economy. Uh, really is narrowed that. So that a small number of very rich men have been able to lay upon the teeming masses of the laboring poor a yoke little better than that of slavery itself. So just like you were talking about. Um, so it's like very little better than just being a slave. Okay. So this is uh, what the socialists propose. So working on the poor man's envy of the rich, this is kind of like the gasoline, I guess, behind the socialist engine, uh, he's saying, to strive a way to do with private property and contend that individual possessions should become the common property of all, be administered by the state or by municipal bodies. So the problem, all these wealthy people have all the means of production and the trade, they're the ones who do all things, uh, the working class, living lives, a little better than slaves. So the socialists say, well, let's just do away with property altogether as far as owned by an individual so that the wealthy don't have it, and then just give it to the state. And then no one uh, have any individual uh, possessions at all. And then they hold that by this transferring property from private individuals to the community, the present mischievous state of things will be set to rights. 
inasmuch each citizen will then get a spare share of whatever there is to enjoy. So, yeah. So then it's not about what a laborer does, but each citizen has an equal share in, in the pot. Right? Uh, does that make sense? So then he says, uh, this is a powerlessness of socialism, basically. He says, their contentions are so clearly powerless to end the controversy that were they carried into effect, the working man himself would be among the first to suffer. So, I mean, we've seen that repetitively throughout human history, right? In time that regime has to take over. Um, it is emphatically unjust because they would rob the lawful possessor distort the functions of the state, and create utter confusion in the community. So, could <clears throat> rob the worker, uh, the state wouldn't be able to handle the responsibility, it would distort all their functions, and create utter confu confusion in the community. It would distort <laughs> the functions of the state, because the state, again, is built off that fundamental building block of the family. And so one of the things with socialism is that it prioritizes the state raising the child rather than the father raising the child, and the state is not equipped to do that. Yeah. Um, for the same reason why a laborer needs to have property to, for, his, for his soil, for his, yeah, like what he's going to harvest, because he's the one that's familiar with it, you know, just like a father is familiar with his child, and so is able to raise the child. So the owner of, uh, so the laborer, needs to be in possession of his property because he's the one that knows how to cultivate the soil because he's around it. So, so the purpose of, of giving labor, giving labor like the purpose of an employee uh, working. He says that the impelling reason and motive of an employee's work is to obtain property and thereafter to hold it as his very own. So, the reason for working is not just to live another day. That's the thing. Like, I'm, we might look at it now like, oh, well, like he, the guy's paid enough to, you know, to eat and sleep, you know? Isn't that good? No, it's, it's not. It's not good enough. It's not befitting enough to human dignity. The motive of work is to obtain property and to hold it as a very own. Um... So socialists, by endeavoring to transfer the possession of individuals to community at large, strike the interest of every wage earner. Since they would deprive him of the liberty of disposing of his wages, and thereby of all hope and possibility of increasing his resources and of bettering his condition in life. So, yeah, and I think that's something that we're, a problem that we're all familiar with, right? Like, within socialism, you cannot better your own life by your work. And so... There is, uh, yeah, there's not much incentive, right? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, okay, so property. Proper to man to possess. So socialism proposes a solution against justice. That's the problem. For every man has the nature to possess property as his own. Why is that the case? Why is that the case? So... One of the, he then talks about the difference between men and animals. And this is a really interesting uh, argument and a good one, you know, because a lot of times 
we say, like, well, no, we can't be socialist because man is naturally greedy. You know, man has to work out of his own self-interest. And that's not what Leo XIII says. What Leo XIII says is that it's proper to his nature as a rational animal, and we'll see why. But, and so he's going to talk about man and the rest of uh, the animal creation, the irrational animal. So, the brute, which is just like a regular animal, has no power of self-direction. So it's not able to govern itself in a, in a, toward a certain good. But it's governed by two main instincts, which keeps power on the alert. Uh, self-preservation and propagation of the species. So, one, the, yeah. Oh, no. Okay. Um, away. One of these pens will work. No um, way, garbage. <laughs> Last time I did this, though, then they, they said, oh, wait. No, that might be the board, Father. Um, so I'm not going to throw it away. I won't have these markers on my hands. Uh, it's my Are you serious? We've been trying to do ministry here. I'm working. I get done. All this. All this private property, this belongs to the state. This belongs to the state of wisdom. <laughs> this is the problem with you capitalists. Bourgeoisie <laughs> with your markets. <laughs> All of those don't work. I tried them last time. Uh, you just threw all the true workers away. <laughs> no, I didn't. Wait, wait. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, it draws. Okay, so um, so both can attain their purpose. So self-preservation and propagation of species. So you save your life, you reproduce. That's what animals they attain that purpose by means that lie within their own range. Um, so, yeah. Now, here's the deal. The, my, my question is, and we'll see more, like, just consider your mind mulling this right now, and then we'll discuss it. If the socialists say that it's not uh, necessary to possess private to possess property. And really, I mean, the way that capitalism is lived today in America a lot of times, like, I'm going to pay him this, this amount because all he needs to do is eat and sleep and get back to work, you know? So, like, he essentially doesn't really possess much private property. Yes? There's also, I, I would think a lot of people would argue that there's just a, it's a consensual agreement. Like, this person has come to, they both agreed right. to work for this wage. Yes. And so, therefore, it's just. Right. The problem is, is yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It's like if if I'm given the scantron, you know, the guy has four choices, you know, and all of them say like either starve or these are your four choices, none of which 
allows me to live in, earn a wage that has profit, you know, that allows me to obtain property, then there's a problem with the system. This also seems like there, like you said earlier, there's a the field goal posts keep moving because the money is is the ground shakes underneath underneath you, like underneath you as you walk on it because you're like it's like you're changing the, the nature of what the money is as mm -hmm. time goes on. So even what you agree to like in one year is not really worth the same amount in the, you know, in several years later or whatever. So it's yeah. and I think if um we probably get it tomorrow, but further down in the it's difficult Pope uh, talks about how, yes, the man has the right to negotiate that salary, but they're not working from a position of um, justice because the person here is offering a job has more power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this person, especially at that point in time, the laborer was often much more desperate and yeah. felt the need to take that job at any cost. And so the Pope says it, it leans toward the person who is the boss, so to speak, sure. um, to make sure they pay just wage. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to the end of the, uh, at the end of the night, we're going to talk about the duties of the employer as well, just to paint that all out, you know. Um, but all that to say, like you're saying, like, you know, like this person is, is bound to this. I mean, just consider this. Does that mean that um, the person who does not make enough to have private property, or by the power of the state not allowed to have private property, uh, that he is bound to live like an animal, you know? Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. I, I want to talk about what it's supposed to look like as a rational man, and then I want to just have that discussion and then, yeah, see all the implications of that, because I think that's very interesting. Um, and what that means for the rest of society as a whole, you know? like. The arts, for instance, you know. Um, okay, so now with man, though, it's very different. He's not just, uh, he doesn't just have these two drives. He also has the drive of uh, reason. He has reason. So with his reason, and this is where like the crux of the argument falls for him, man links the future with the present and is master of his own act. So man links the future with the present as master of his own acts. If uh, any of you guys like listen to Jordan Peterson and him talk about sacrifice and stuff like that, it's a very similar idea that man is able to like put down a down payment now for his future, you know, and like that's kind of yeah, that's yeah, yeah, he can sacrifice immediate gratification. Um, so because he can link the future with the present. He is the master of his own actions and can direct himself. As we saw the animals don't have self-direction, but man does have self-direction. Man then chooses not only as to matters that regard his present welfare, but also about those which he deems may be for his advantage in the future. Hence, man not only should possess the fruits of the earth, but also the very soil, inasmuch as from the produce of the earth he has to lay by provision for the future. So he gives the example of uh, a laborer in a field. A laborer, like a farmer, he needs to own the soil because it's like, hey, I need to get back on this soil because I just put some, some beans in here, you know? Put some corn uh, in this soil, you know? I need to come back and get it, and I need to water it, and I need to make sure that like the acidity levels are right. 
and that there's not a, a whole bunch of garbage in it, you know? I need to own the soil. Um, so the reality is, it's like, man doesn't just, you know, kind of do his work, get his remuneration, and then just gets his product. Like, in order for him to get the product, in the very fabric of creation, he needs to have dominion over it. In order to have dominion over it, he has to own it, right? That's just like the way that the earth works. That's the way that our planet works, you know? Uh, in order to see a thing through, then you have to own it to be the, the right steward of it. So, uh, man's needs, again, do not die out, but they go on forever. Although man might be satisfied today, he demands fresh supplies for tomorrow. Nature, accordingly, must have given to man a source that is stable and remaining always with him, from which he might look to draw continual supplies. So because man has desires that continue on in the future, he needs to have something that ensures continual supplies, which implies ownership, you know, to be a sad. Nature accordingly must have given to man a source that is stable and manual with him. Uh, and this stable condition of things he finds solely in the earth and its fruits. For this there is no need, he says, to bring in the state. Man precedes the state and possesses prior to the formation of any state the right of providing for the substance of his body. So, yeah, like, I mean, we are born citizens of the United States of America, but there was once a time where these men with powdered wigs came together and said, we will form the state, you know, and those men preceded the existence of the state uh, in July 4th, 1776. So, um, so yes, man precedes the state. Uh, and then they ate Oscar Mayer Wiener hot dogs and shot off Roman candles. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so, Can yes. Can I suggest also that this implies that the earth is, like, sufficient to provide for your needs. It's not like this constant, like, am I going to be okay? It's not like this sense of, like, lack, but that, like, the mm. earth is fruitful and, like, will sustain you. Yeah. I don't know. You're like, saying, like, if, if lived in this way, I'm saying, like, he's implying Genesis. <laughs> like, uh -huh. but the Lord gave you the earth and it is fruitful. Uh -huh. And like, you can. You can cultivate it. Yeah. Yeah. Genesis is all. Mm -hmm. I think he actually quotes Genesis. Yeah. 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 A lot of this, you know. I took out all, I took out all the pious stuff and stripped <laughs> the brass hats. So, uh, <laughs> There's no need to even bring in the state. Yeah. Um, he will say that the state needs to intervene. So, like, the you know uh, society, society's building blocks are the family. 
if there's like for instance issues within the family that they cannot like solve within themselves, things like that. domestic violence, you know, like within mm -hmm. the family, then the state needs to come in, you know, and solve that. But generally, he's very hands off. About it. I was just remembering some uh, talks that just really tortured. You're talking about the free kneeling all rights. When he was talking about private property, he was talking about how uh, property is inalienable only when it's something that you actually really need. So he was saying mm -hmm. whenever when Pope Leo, and I was thinking about how Pope Francis and Pope Leo XIII both said two different contradictory things on property, and I got like thinking, well, I thought it was want to make sure. When Pope Leo XIII said it was like absolutely necessary, he was talking about the, the property you actually did need, and what Pope Francis was saying was the, he was how he was condemning the property you don't really need. Mm. Yeah, and probably, and like, and he's going to say that in later in his documents, like supply for your needs and then provide for the needs of others, not according to the law of justice, but according to the law of charity, you know? So that's where like the, you know, the state will say like, well, no, I have justice, you, you know, provide good thing, I have the law of charity, you provide that. So does ownership of property specifically mean a lot of land? No, no, I don't think so. Because well, so if all this is implying, I think, mean that man would have his own area that he could, like, you know, till the earth and produce things yeah. and work with his family. So, okay. it's, I mean, would every family, like, have to own mm. a plot of land in a truly, like, virtuous system? Um, later on, he's going to say, like, a laborer can either get the produce from the owner that he, that he works for, or that he can get other supplies that allows him to like obtain, you know, that. So I don't think so. But, you know, maybe that's like, I, yeah, I don't know if he's picturing that kind of utopia, you know, if you want to call it that. But. I guess so, from what, I, what he was saying, um, whenever you're talking about like the, the arts and stuff, mm -hmm. if everybody, every family is struggling to provide for their own having to make, uh, maintain their own land for gardens or just to be able to feed themselves, then there really is, you know, where is there any time to grow in the arts? Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I do want to get into, let me see, I want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, no, we can kind of start that discussion. Yeah, yeah uh, I, again, don't want to kind of jump ahead, but like, wouldn't the state have um, some kind of say whenever man kind of oversteps Yeah, I mean, I just don't know what it looks, yeah, I just, I don't know what it looks like. I know that he does say, yeah, like basically there, and we'll get to it later, I don't think we'll get to that tonight, but, you know, there, there is the preferential option for the poor, which is something that's, um, this isn't, you know, like some people, you know, talk about like the church being invaded by communists, this isn't like a communist idea, the preferential option for the poor, it's a scriptural idea, you know, God loves the poor. Um, God loves the more. God loves the poor more than like other people. Frankly, um, I mean, it says it in the Bible a lot. So, um, so there, yeah, there's a real preferential option there. And there's, I know, I probably just rocked a lot of the worlds right there. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of theological and metaphysical implications to that. You know, why God would do that. Um, 
But yeah, um, yeah, the state probably would have to intervene, you know, in some way. And obviously, like there, I probably should have like just wrote out a bunch of like principles to all this. There's the principle, so where there's inviolability of private property, but then there's also the principle of universal destination of goods, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. Uh, so like, you know, you, if you have a person who's starving, you know, and his family is starving, if he goes to a grocery store and takes a piece of bread and like he can't pay for it, it's not theft, you know? He has to provide for his family, right? Um, the universal destination of goods, like the goods of the earth that are there to enjoy for all mankind. You know, kind of thing. Um, that's different from I gotta just steal a loaf of bread because he likes Wonder Bread or Banjo. <laughs> yeah. um, so, yeah. Also different to go steal the filet Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, bread. right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, our family only eats red meat, you know? <laughs> <laughs> If they don't have it, they'll die. <laughs> they're very intolerant. Yeah, they're intolerant. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. So the arts. So that's kind of like, like I mean, you notice within human history, like a sort of religious consciousness, whenever uh, farming becomes something. You know, whenever people are less hunter gatherer and always need to be like walk around with spears and you know, kill hairy elephants. Um, they, the woolly mammoths. Um, but yeah, so like you notice within human history that, right? And so if, you know, if man doesn't have that kind of freedom and he's living simply paycheck to paycheck, um, like how does that person cultivate, how does that person cultivate, frankly, just like a, a, a prayer life, you know? How does that person, uh, yeah, like provide direction for their family and all that stuff, right? Yeah, Aristotle talks about that in uh, Nicky and Ethics. He says that basically, like, in order to, like, cultivate virtue, you need to have leisure. And right. if you're spending all your time working and having no leisure, you can't cultivate virtue. Right, right. Which, another thing, too, is, like, the self-inflicted animal, you know, behavior. Um, like, how much do we work and then... And, like, I mean, it is kind of, now we have, at least, like, within America, probably, like, the corporation of Walmart owns more money than the country of Spain. You know what I mean? Like, like we have a corporate oligarchy now. And, I mean, how appropriate is it that, like, we are given something that keeps us from, like, having deep thought at all? You know, it's where, like, I can just, like, watch 10-second videos all the time and, and tickle the bottom of my brainstem, you know, it will. Um, so, like, it, it, it keeps us, you know, from that. It keeps us from that leisure, you know, by which we can have self-direction and rather be kind of be tossed, about, uh, tossed around by our drives, you know? Um, I don't know, those are all just, there's a lot of different, like, implications of this. Yeah. What, can you say that one more time? Uh, he describes the worker as living frugally, so uh -huh. he's, he's not uh -huh. he's not acquiring everything he can get 
Yeah. He can have whatever he wants. He, he's, he's basically cashing his, his wages and holding his land basically mm-hmm. in a different form. So oh, God. it's not currently not work every day. Yeah. So like he he owns it. Yeah. It's, like, it's like canning vegetables or putting something inside. Well, yeah. I mean, my, 
in the, in the wise words of Monsignor, the late Monsignor Mouton, you know, never sell land, you know? <laughs> you always get mad when the church sold land, you know? Because, yeah, there's something about land. Uh, yeah, I guess it is like the, like the first, you know, kind of property. Everything else is just like a derivation of it, you know? Um, but I don't mean to underline, like, relate, um, or, well, I guess you lie the, the principle that you're trying to point out here, but it, it's in linked man's nature, mm-hmm. somehow intrinsic to it is, is the idea of owning property. We need it because we are intellectual beings and we need to be able to live in the future, like, basically sacrifice the future. Mm-hmm. So the way in which we have to move forward in life and whether or not we have land, the principle seems to still hold. This, in other words, there's an argument to make. Mm-hmm. So they put, I mean, is that fundamentally what... Uh, the, yes. Yes. Like, yeah. Right. No matter where it's found, or uh, even if it's primarily in land, or, and are, are now more so in like intellectual information age type property exchange. Yeah. No matter like, there's got to be some sort of connection with our work and our um, our nature. Right. We can't just like be causing wheel. Yeah. Causing machine. Right. Right. I wonder what they think about the metaverse. Yeah, the difference is that God owns the planet Earth and uh, and uh, whatever the dude's name. Yeah, Zuckerberg owns the metaverse. Yeah, that's and then Zuckerberg said, by the sweat of your brow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's talking about you will prick your spine. He cast us off of the new world of Earth. It's a virtual Oh, wow. It's fun. It's fun. They weren't having this fun talking about the liturgy. <laughs> Okay, so, and then, so then on the upper end, okay, so, wasn't the earth given to all mankind? So everybody's supposed to enjoy the fruits of the earth, you know, says, you know, says the socialist interlocutor. Yes, uh, yet land must be owned to be cultivated. When man turns to cultivate the earth, he impresses his own personality upon it. Um, doesn't mean that the owners only enjoy the land. And this is what we were talking about earlier. Those who do not possess the land contribute their labor and receive produce from the land itself or that which is exchanged for what the land brings forth. So not everyone owns land, but the laborers uh, receive either produce from the land itself or that which is exchanged for the land which brings forth. Okay. So... What do the socialists say? It is right for private persons to have the use of soil and its various fruits, but the socialists say it is unjust for anyone to possess outright either the land on which he is built or the estate which he has brought under cultivation. What is the problem, Leo XIII says? They do not, the socialists do not perceive that they are defrauding man of what is his own labor has produced, because the soil the laborer tills utterly changes its condition. As they affect the change, they should own the land. So like, yeah. So just like we have a we have a deer lease that like we put basic stuff on, you know, and like the soil is always changing. Like my dad has to always go and check out like the acidity of the soil and stuff to make sure like he has to oversee it, you know. Uh, the state can't do that. So that which that is thus altered and improved the land becomes so truly a part of itself as to be in great measure indistinguishable 
and inseparable from it. Um, yeah, so like by the labor, the work that the laborer puts into it changes the actual land itself. So there's an indistinguishable relationship between the worker and the land that's been worked upon. Um, or the labor and, and the, the effect. Because as all effects, this is like a metaphysical principle, as, as effects follow their cause, so it is just and right that the results of labor should belong to those who have bestowed their labor upon it. Yeah. So like, this is what you're saying, like every effect resembles cause. So like I'm the one causing the clipboard to be pushed, the effect is the clipboard being pushed. You know, that simple of an, of an argument. So uh, the laborer works on the land, the laborer is then, the, the land is then labored upon. Uh, and so there's an indistinguishable relationship that can't be separated. All right, so foundations of private property. Uh, the laws of nature provide the foundations for the division of property, he says. Practice of human history confirms private ownership. Uh, it conduces to the peace and tranquility of human existence. Civil laws enforce this as well. And finally, divine law enforces it. And thou shalt not covet. So, is socialism institutional covetousness? So how? That's another question. So if you remember, he says that the socialists play upon the envy of... Uh, the working class to overthrow the bourgeoisie. Um, Leo XIII says that, like, to basically to remove private property ownership from those who own it, probably breaking the tenth commandment: "Thou shalt not covet thy, you know, thy neighbor's ox, thy neighbor's field, thy neighbor's Rolex, you know, like all that stuff." So, um, yeah. Like there has to be some point where it's where the property is ripped away, right? I mean, wouldn't that be like the breaking? Especially the socialists derive that point in the in almost everything they say, in mm -hmm. that the they're driving they're driving against the rich and poor mm -hmm. to drive that envy to get the poor to, to take stuff from the rich to give it to the poor, but they don't ever really give it to the poor. Yeah. You know, right. it goes back to what Pope Leo said in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, the working class. Today, they just play on the handy card all the time. Earlier, he was, uh, near the beginning, he was talking about, as a socialist point of view, of uh, their statement of being like a, everything being equal, mm -hmm. which is really an impossibility. Mm -hmm. Just like <laughs> people are being born and dying every minute of every day. Mm -hmm. So, unless you cease people's coming into existence and then going out of existence. There is no way to create a society in which all things are equal. Mm -hmm. The other possibility of this is like a win-win model as well. This is what doesn't, like, isn't accounted for. You know, it's, well, there's only so much capital, so let's let, you know, the poor have it again, but administered by the state, which is, let's just let the state have it, um, as you were saying. Or, yeah, let's just let, you know, the, the rich continue being rich and the, and the poor suffer from it. Um, but there is another scenario whenever um, everyone has some sort of 
property to better their lives where everyone increases, you know, like in, in, their, uh, in their welfare as well, you know? It's not like, um, like there's a lot of goods of the earth that remain untapped, right? Um, so it's not like there's like, you know, it's not like Bitcoin where there's only like, you know, there's like 20,000 or whatever it is, like, you know, that are only going to ever be in existence, you know what I mean? Um, like, there's a lot that, um, there's a lot more capital, I guess, that could be had, is the point. That, that's not a odd friend. Is that, there a lot more capital that could be had, or a lot more real things? Like, well, yeah. Resourceful, or is it money multiplied? Well, like, that's what I mean by capital, just like oh, goods. Right. Yeah, yeah. Where is it the line between like coveting Elon Musk's wealth and like realizing there is an imbalance in the system? the top 1% going on wealth and saying maybe it would be better off for that to be in some way redistributed mm -hmm. to the rest of society to say like I just want justice and fairness in the system. Right. Yeah, I guess justice is, isn't to the detriment of yeah, like Elon owed that. Right. Um, justice and envy can't like coexist, right? I just, yeah, what the process looks like, like, I guess it's pretty to look at particularly like Elon Musk and, and that type of work of politics, say like how, how does the money go from his bank account, you know, more into his workers, you know, bank accounts? Like, do they have more of a stock ownership, you know, in the company? Like what, I don't know, I don't know what it looks like. So if you are below the point where you are able to have leisure and you desire something more, are you committing envy? He would say no, that man should desire his own uh, his own betterment. I mean, envy is saying, like, I also want the other to fail. Um, so that necessitate the other to fail for him to better his life. So why is it good that all men should be as wealthy as possible? Oh, I don't know if he said that. Well, I mean, the, the idea, right, is that all people can increase in mm -hmm. ownership and uh, advancement in monetarily or just in society, right? Yeah, but I they can increase, but I think that's different from saying be wealthy as possible. Well, I mean, obviously the poor will always be with me, but, mm -hmm. but I mean, the idea is that all people can own something and, and have mm -hmm. means, right? Right. That's the idea. Yeah. And so, like, it, it just seems that if this would just take an extremely virtuous society to be able to, 
oh yeah, like, whether it happens or not, it probably won't, <laughs> you know? But it's worth failing like, at. This yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and this is worth trying. And like, and you know, like, you know, it's like the devil that you do know rather than the devil that you don't. Like, we don't know this devil, you know? Like, we don't know. That, that's one of the things that he's gonna talk about is like, we have to accept the limitations uh, of, and like just evil that exists within society. You know, within within creation to even begin, uh, because the the Marxists are not willing to do that. They're they're still holding on to the idea of the utopia. The utopia can't exist because a sin has entered the world. Um, so, yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Well, so <laughs> is there anything that we can do besides starting or owning? Especially if you're an employer, we'll see. Like, if you're an employer, you just have to see what you have to do. You know, like I think this is more addressed. To, like we're talking, talking about like the duties of workers. You know, there are very few that he gives. The duties of employers are like very long. Right. Um, so. Because obviously there could be going to be a lot fewer employers than there will be employees. Right. Right. And but they are, have way more responsibility. You know, to live virtuously than. The, the laborers do. For what we need to do, I think we need to read the Communist Manifesto. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is you need to revolt. I've actually formed it as, as a militia right here. That's my number three. Yeah.
play a video of a screen. Mm. It just works. Um, so I think like, yeah, software's really interesting because like you have to, like, one kid making an app, like Wordle or something like that, he's a billionaire now, or a billionaire now. It doesn't make a lot of sense compared to like, if I were to like sell more carrots for my land, <laughs> have to give more land, buy more carrot seeds. <laughs> and there's a material limitation to it that's different. Yeah. Distinct, yeah. But the implications are just the same. You have more power, you have more responsibility. Mm-hmm. See, the thing is that taking, uh, Elon, uh, Elon Musk of the world, or Kat, as I see it, it's not really a problem of that they have money, it's that they're not uh, using it properly. Like she was saying about evangelizing people. But imagine him you know, with all that he was given by God, you know, all his wealth, if he was using it in the way that there is that, but there's also the problem of do the Tesla employees or do those other companies that were maybe put under by Tesla, do, do their employees have the ability to own private property right now? You know, it doesn't matter how much, you know, evangelization stuff he might be doing if they can't better their lives. Oh, for sure. But it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, that's different from saying, hey, 10% of all my belongings is going to, you know, the Diocese of Rome, you know, or whatever. Like, right. And yeah. certainly there's uh, a point, you, you get to his level of wealth, his second, first, richest man in the world. Like, he obviously reinvests a lot of his things. And he does, like, he gives charity, certainly. He reinvests a lot, most of his money into, like, more projects. So, like, I might argue that space exploration Mm-hmm. for humanity, and he also, you know, creates good products that people can use, you know, to advance themselves as well, but, uh, so, like, I don't think it's necessary for him to just, like, okay, that's enough, therefore I have to, like, give it all away, right. you know, to charity or yeah. to invest in local businesses. Yeah, no, not necessarily. The other thing, I am, I don't know, maybe we could save this discussion for another time, too, uh, since we have 20 minutes and we've gotten halfway through the slides, but um, it's like, I mean, you bring up the point of, well, he can make more products. One of the things that uh, Marx points out with the bourgeoisie is that they're always changing the means of production, and in always changing the means of production, they are the ones that own the means of production, you know? Uh, and in changing the means of production, you you can also change the product, you know. So like like iPhone going from iPhone 12 to iPhone 15 or whatever, in changing that, also it's like look at what they've done, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, we see that because we're addicted to consumerism, you know, we're addicted to the product. So I don't know, just throwing that in there, how much does it help? Like we we look at some of these companies, and say, look how much good they're doing. But is the good helping man actualize his his final end? You know, is it helping him actualize what he's actually made for, or is it just providing a more convenient product for him? You know, uh, I don't know. It seems like a bunch of these products now, like different software companies, all that whole sector is just about making ease of living rather than making man more virtuous or like trying to do that.
And of course, those things like, I'm so happy. I'm a more virtuous person that AC was invented, you know? Because if not, like, I probably wouldn't go into churches and pray, you know? Um, like, there, there's a real thing there, right? But at some point, it's just become, like, just easy. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about how, uh, how a part of this comes from the annual right to property, which they say undermine that will undermine liberty and undermine that will undermine life. And I was thinking how a lot of that related to how whenever it comes to undermining liberty, there's slavery, undermining life, there's abortion. So I also say necessary part of property is also fundamental to a uh, person's nature. And I was thinking about how the United States has already failed the first two and it's probably going to fail the first the third one because I came to think, does this country ever actually have a straight definition of what a person is? Because every time it has a Supreme Court document that involves a person, it always says one side of a person, um, or not a person. It can never get a straight definition of what a person is. And I thought this would relate to it as well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, that's an interesting point, though. Um, okay. All right. Now we have to move. Okay. Um, So in choosing a state of life, it is indisputable that all are at full liberty to decide for themselves. No human law can ab abolish the natural and original right of marriage, nor in any way limit the chief and principal purpose of marriage ordained by God's authority from the beginning. Hence, we have the family, the society of a man's house. This society is older than the state and has rights that are independent of the state. So he's just saying, look, that the state shouldn't have the right over all these things May, God himself allows man to choose whether he is going to live a consecrated life or whether he will live a married life. And if he will live a married life, to whom he will live a married life with. You know, and that man freely chooses this, um, this society, which, is, which predates the state. Private property in the family. The right to private property is even stronger for the head of a family it is a most sacred law of nature that a father should provide food and all necessaries for those whom he has begotten. And similarly, it is natural that he should wish that his children, who carry on, so to speak, and continue his personality, should be by him provided with all that is needful to enable them to keep themselves decently from want and misery amid the uncertainties of this moral life, mortal life. Now, no other way can a father accept, affect this except by the ownership of productive property. I don't know why... He says productive property, but okay. Which he can transmit to his children by inheritance. So he needs also to be able to, you know, like transmit property to his children by inheritance. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. It's okay. It's not your problem. Uh, maybe that's. <laughs> uh, okay. So, yeah, so even a father is, like, as that rational creature, you know, preparing for the future, uh, should have things to, to transfer by inheritance to his children. Okay. To provide for their, the uncertainties of life, you know. Okay, so the family and government influence. The family is a true society governed by an authority peculiar to itself, by the authority of the father. The family is antecedent, that is, pre-existing the state, has at least equal rights with the state in the choice and a pursuit of the things needful to its preservation and its just liberty. If a family finds itself, so this is where government influence can come in, 
in exceeding distress, utterly deprived of the counsel of friends, and without any prospect of extricating itself. It is right that extreme necessity be met by public aid, since each family is a part of the commonwealth. In like manner, within the precincts of the household, there occur grave disturbance of mutual rights. Public authority should intervene to force each party to yield to the other its proper due. For this is not to deprive citizens of their rights, but justly and property to safeguard and strengthen them. But the rulers of the commonwealth must, not, must go no further. Here, nature bids them stop. So he pretty much puts some limits on like the, the state's involvement with the family. I think he's putting these hard limits as well because of uh, what the socialism has proposed as far as like being those to f- the first uh, those who first raise the children uh, in the family. So, so yeah. So uh, public aid if there's no one else to provide it for them, and uh, like disputes within the family. So, service of mutual rights. Those. <clears throat> That's what he's saying the, the state should do. Okay. <clears throat> so, fatherly authority can either be abolished nor absorbed by the state, or it's the same source as human life itself. The child belongs to the father. And, as it were, the continuation of the father's personality. Speaking strictly, the child takes its place in civil society, not of its own right, but in its quality as a member of the family in which it is born. And for the very reason that the child belongs to the father, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, before it attains to the use of free will, under the power and the charge of its parents. The socialists, therefore, in setting aside the parent and setting up a state supervision, act against natural justice and destroy the structure of the home. So in the same way that, you know, like, a father impresses personality upon, I mean, a man, a laborer impresses personality upon his, his uh, work, Maybe uh, maybe President Kennedy wasn't as uh, as practicing of a Catholic as you know. Yeah. Well, he did. He did say, I don't want my kid to tell me what to do with my uh, my ruling of the presidency. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was being a little facetious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so other socialist problems he throws in there. He says that the door of socialism would be practiced would be, would be thrown open to envy, to mutual incentive, and to discord. The sources of wealth themselves would, one dry, would run dry, for no one would have any interest in exerting his talents or his industry. That ideal quality about which uh, the socialists entertain pleasant dreams would be, in reality, the leveling down of all to a like condition of misery and degradation. And yeah, human, he's pretty prophetic, you know, in that way. So, um, yeah, it's like, he's just as prophetic as like, uh, Paul the sixth with like humani vitae, you know, and all the things that would happen. So yeah, that definitely happened. Um, in conclusion, so with socialism issues, it's clear that the main tenet of socialism community of goods must be utterly rejected since it only interests those whom it seem to benefit, is directly contrary to the natural rights of mankind, and would introduce confusion and disorder into the commonweal. So, like, yeah, they wouldn't, the government wouldn't be able to handle it. 
The first and foremost fundamental principle, therefore, one would undertake to alleviate the condition of the masses must be the inviolability of private property. So he lays down the principle of the inviolability of private property right there. That's the first thing that we should do to alleviate the, con the condition of the masses. Okay, so the remedy. So uh, he talks about, first, the life of the church. It is the church that insists on the authority of the gospel upon those teachings whereby the conflict can be brought to an end or rendered at least far less bitter. The church uses her efforts not only to enlighten the mind, but to direct by her precepts the life and conduct of each and all. It's the church who improves and betters the condition of the working man by means of numerous organization. It's the church that does her best to enlist the services of all classes in discussing and endeavoring to further, in the most practical way, the interests of the working classes and considers that for this purpose recourse should be had in due measure and degree to the intervention of the law and of state authority. Uh, so the, there are the limitations to consider. Again, like the, the Marxists presuppose a kind of utopia. Uh, the church looks frankly at reality and sees that it's not possible. So <clears throat> first, the idea of equality, like equal ability. Man is, man is not created with equal ability to one another. So there exists among mankind manifold difference of the most important kind. Maybe talk about equal value, right? Um, equal dignity, but not equal ability. People different in capacity, skill, health, strength, and unequal fortune is a necessary result of unequal condition. So because there is unequal condition, there is unequal fortune. It's a necessary result. Um, oh, I turned the page, huh? Okay. Such inequality is far from being disadvantaged, though, disadvantageous, though, either to individuals or to the community. Social and public life can only be maintained by means of various kinds of capacity for business and the playing of many parts. And each man, as a rule, chooses the part which suits his own peculiar domestic condition. So there exists, with like, within every other part of reality, a hierarchy, you know? Um... Even within species, like there are hierarchies. There's something about a hierarchy that creates order. Um, and so the idea of equality actually probably ruins order, you know, causes chaos, equality in that way. As regards bodily labor, even had man never fallen from the state of innocence, he would not have remained wholly idle, but that which would have then been his free choice and his delight became afterwards compulsory and the painful expiation for his disobedience. Cursed be the earth and with thy work and thy work. And I labor, thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Okay. So might we say, from each according to his ability, to each according to his needs? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> a little bit. That was pretty slick, though. <laughs> Karl Marx said that. <laughs> who are those who don't know? Uh, in like manner, the other pains and hardships of life will have no end or cessation on earth, for the consequences of sin are bitter and hard to bear, and they must accompany man so long as life lasts. To suffer and to endure, therefore, is the lot of humanity, he says. Let them strive as they may. No strength and artifice will ever be will ever succeed in banishing from human life the ills and the troubles to set it. Veronica, I didn't know you were so bored that you had to post in the boiling bath. Uh, uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's a, for her, it's of old things, not new things. Yeah. Uh, 
All right. If there are any who pretend differently, who hold out to a hard-pressed people, the boon of freedom. Uh, the boon is like the favor of freedom from pain and trouble and undisturbed repose and constant enjoyment. They delude the people and impose upon them and their lying promises will only one day bring forth evils worse than the present. Um, so, yeah, so don't pretend differently. It's the lot of man to suffer. We know that. So, suffering to be expected. Nothing is more useful than to look upon the world as it really is and at the same time to seek elsewhere, as we have said, for the solace to his troubles. Uh, so rational and so false. So then he talks about like the class, the, the narrative class struggle. You know, so like a lot of the stuff that um, Marx says about history is probably not far off, but the idea of class struggle, his interpretation of it, he debunks that. So, uh, and regarding the class struggle, so rational and so false is the view that is directly contrary to the truth. Just as the symmetry of the human frame is the result of the suitable arrangement of the different parts of the body. So in a state is it ordained by nature that these two classes should dwell in harmony and agreement so as to maintain the balance of the body politic. So like the, just the way that like the human frame, like it requires all the different parts of the body, you know, like it'd be pretty bad if like your body were all fingers, you know, or like all heads, you know, or something like that, right? That's kind of what he's saying. Um, each needs the other. Capital cannot do without labor, and labor cannot do without capital. Mutual agreement rests in the beauty of good order, while perpetual conflict necessarily produces confusion and savage barbarity. So there are going to be people who own the land. There are going to be people who work the land as just part of the good order. You know, it just needs to be moderated, I guess. Right. No, but not inequality of like potentiality. Or, or, no, you're smarter than me. 
So like, am I supposed to be angry at you about that? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or you know, Elon Musk is a freaking billionaire. Like, am I supposed mm -hmm. to go around like, you know, no, that does me no good? Mm -hmm. um, no, I, I like, I, I'm interested in what he's doing or whatever, but I don't have no right to hold that over him. Mm. Um, there's that inequality is the way things are. Right. Right. Mean? And then there, there's other inequalities that are more right. against justice because justice is about inequality. Yeah. And making that right and measure it out. Um, it seems to be like there's a, a lot of confusion in terms about what is unjust and just um, right. in the way we talk nowadays. Mm -hmm. It seems like he's pointing out yeah. like a bright line. He's categorizing a little, about, like, a little bit. If you go over this thing with property, wherever that, wherever yeah. that means now, right. then we, we're reading this is like a sacred, natural, yeah. sacred thing. Like, uh, it's it's in a natural law. Yeah. Right? And, and maybe, isn't that where he's headed right here at 20? The duties of workers. Well, like, he's going to talk about duties of workers. Yeah, and I and guess I'm trying to like understand what are the other principles or whatever. That seems to be like the idea of the document, not that we can live in some utopia, but like. And that's exactly how he starts off. He says, "I want to provide the principles." Right. You know. Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, and now like like everything that you brought up, like. That's why we we can seemingly only have principles, you know, in this conversation. It just seems like it's always changing, you know, between whoever owned, you know, like the, I don't know, the 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 cotton gin or whatever, you know, back then, and now we've got like space exploration and um, NFTs, you know, and like all this stuff. I don't know. Uh, it's always changing. I don't. Yeah, iPhone. Uh, Bitcoin, you know, <laughs> like metaverse. Yeah, metaverse. Yeah. Um, so now, in preventing the strife between the classes and in uprooting it, the efficacy of Christian institutions is marvelous and manifold. First of all, there is no intermediary more powerful than religion. So interesting, because Marx calls religion the opium of the masses. So he's trying to do away with it, right? Uh, and now Leo XIII says, if you want to deal with class struggle, then deal with religion and drawing the rich and the working class together, finding reminding of its duties to the other, and especially to the obligations of justice. Um, wait, does he say it in? Yeah, sorry. So, um, Okay. Yeah, he talks about it. Yeah, that's right. No, we'll talk about it next time. Yeah. Uh, how the church itself binds the classes with one another by her, by her ideals and by the gospel. Um, but finally, just in bullet point form, the duties of the worker. Um, so what the classes look like in regards to each other, the worker and the employer. So the worker has to fully and faithfully perform the work which has been freely and equitably agreed upon. Freely and equitably agreed upon. Uh, never to enter the property or to outrage the person of an employer. Never to resort to violence and defending their own cause or engage in riot or disorder. And have nothing to do with men of evil principles who work upon the people with artful promises of great results and excite foolish hopes, which usually end in useless regrets and grievous loss. So, yeah, don't 
don't be with people who excite foolish hopes, you know. Uh, anyway, yeah, basically don't throw a revolution. It's like, please don't throw a revolution. Please don't do it. Um, okay. So then, and then the duties of the employer. These are two slides. So, first, to respect and every man his dignity as a person and noble by Christian character. <clears throat> not, to dis, not to misuse men as though they were things in the pursuit of gain or to value them solely for their physical powers. To ensure the worker has time for his religious duties, that he be not exposed to corrupting influences and dangerous occasions, so like, you know, like building out your coal mine or whatever, or, you know, tear out all the asbestos, you know, in your, I don't know, in your place, you know, make sure you don't get the mesothelioma, you know, um, that kind of thing. Um, uh, that he not be led away to neglect his home and family or to squander his earnings. Never tax his work people beyond their strength. Um, never employ them to work unsuited to their sex and age. Um, it's great. And then his great principle duty is to give everyone what is just. And then he's not supposed to exercise pressure upon the destitute for the sake of gain. So sort of like, you know, you, you brought up. Seth, uh, or to gather one's profit out of need of another, to defraud anyone's wages that are his due. That's one of the sins that cry out to heaven. And lastly, the rich must religiously refrain from cutting down the workman's earnings, whether by force, by fraud, or by usurious dealing. And with all the greater reason, because the laboring man is, as a rule, a weak and unprotected, and because a slender means should, in proportion to his be accounted sacred. Okay. So... Y'all have anything y'all want to discuss? I know it's past 8 o'clock. It's 8.02. But um, maybe, Jay, maybe you can speak more to the duties of the employer with uh, what what it looks like in the modern context. Okay. I mean, I think you see the last one right there. It talks so much about that. Uh, Where it says, last of the rich must religiously refrain from cutting down the workman's earnings whether by force or fraud or usurious dealings. And I think that goes back to what you said about being virtuous. Mm-hmm. Right? Being virtuous and poor, make sure that folks that work for you have a just wage for the just gain based on how they contribute. Mm-hmm. Right? Today, you see a lot of people who don't necessarily apply the rules at all. Mm. What Especially is... when you're looking at the Amazons of the world or those mega employers. Mm-hmm. And and they would say like, oh, well, you go work at Amazon and Karen Crow, you get paid twenty dollars an hour, you know, or whatever. But I'm sure there's a lot. Well, they rotate out thirty percent of their employees every year. Uh huh. Right. So there's nothing like okay. I see what you're saying. So there's no there's no justice behind behind getting hired there because you can pretty much guarantee in three years you're gonna be without a job. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So is this just um like since, like, you say, like, you know, like, rich men today, rich uh, employers, just like, are not practicing these things. I'm not saying not. There are many who do. But I think what you see is sometimes when you get in the, um, when you have people that lean much more heavily toward um, unlimited capitalism, mm-hmm. they tend to focus more on the strike price of their stock than on caring for their employees and make sure what they get with. Right. So you use that a lot. Is there a way, or is that just like man's first duty to remove that? 
absolute monarchy with like a perfect man, you know, specifically Jesus controlling it, you know. That's, that, that would be good, that would be very virtuous, but that just doesn't seem to happen because it's like mankind is just. But the owner of a corporation or the, the business owner, he is only in conversation with his own greed, his desire for <coughs> profit. Because what he also needs to do, he needs to make a business that can float, you know? Like if his business doesn't, it's not just paying the employees, he also has to meet a certain profit margin so that his business can go you forward. Talk about that, that there, there is mm-hmm. the business owner has a, um, a requirement so to Like the laborers revolted. Yeah. Uh, from his own staff. 
necessary to make sure all of his employees got paid at least seventy thousand dollars right. a year. And what ended up happening was he got fierce employee loyalty and very low turnover. And what was really cool that I thought was they all started having children. All of them. Yeah. It's like they, they yeah, like they didn't uh, they didn't have any excuse anymore. I yeah, guess. yeah. It was, like so, it was so cool to see that like the, yeah the driving business created driving families. Yeah. Yeah, it, it affected the whole society, right? I guess that's what he's talking about with the social justice. Yeah, that's quite the effect. Oh, wait. Uh, something I also noticed, like, wait, I remember reading about um, the opium people, and I was thinking, well, Marx was actually right and wrong, because he was saying, he was saying religion as, he saw it as a kind of, the kind of drug where it gets people not like, realize that they're being oppressed by society and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, I think that that's actually true only in certain religions, like, uh, let's say, like, Buddhism, for example, it's, it's basically a religion of trying to avoid pain and suffering, where mm-hmm. you're basically numbing yourself from the realities of the world, and Bishop Jean wrote about this kind of stuff, he wrote, he said, uh, when my brother was his life in Christ, he said, and America preaches Christ without the cross, which is basically will be that opium, and Paul yeah. like, oh, Marx was creating, ended up creating the laptop, he didn't directly create Right. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Is that that's it? That's all. Um. I will. What I can do later is like get like a sheet where y'all can, if y'all want these slides in like in viewer form. This is all Google Slides. I can just email them to you uh, if you're interested, but but not tonight. Uh, uh, so okay, all right. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall world without end. Amen. I love you, wisdom. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm just dividing three seconds. Yeah. 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 Well, I had to end up getting a face start on the whole thing.